0: This week, three sides of the coin, we go down the songwriter's rabbit hole one more time with the legendary songwriter, Bob Halligan, Jr. Actually, we should
1: say again, 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 again. again, if we can.
0: And he talks about writing with, of course, Kiss, but also Judas Priest and Kix. It's an incredible discussion this week about songs. This is
2: Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things
0: kiss.
3: I want to rock and roll all night. You're
2: listening to Three
0: Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. Once again, you start with two, then we got three, then we end with two. There's no idea who's showing. I, I was actually thinking as we record these, I. I start the zoom meeting. I never know who's going to show up. true. (laughs) Never know on any given episode, which one of us is going to be here and which isn't. Um, We have a great interview with a great guest coming up. Um, I, I will tease it a little bit here. If you loved our songwriting discussion with Holly Knight, this one is gonna just piggyback right on that one to be another great songwriting discussion. But do you have any comments you want to read,
1: Tommy? I do. Um, yes. yeah, so so this well, because I thought last week, well, I mean, I really like all of our shows. I really do. Some definitely are a train wreck. we We know this, but generally, I thought this one, which is the the we had the author on talking about the hundred greatest heavy metal, songs he wrote a book and i knew there'd be people who have well there's gonna be so
0: so much discussion and and honestly i can i didn't dive into this with people but a lot of them were like well it depends on what you define heavy metal as and it's like well yeah actually that was one of the first things we discussed in the episode was how do you define heavy metal so
1: well and and here's if if
0: if you if you listen we do talk about this stuff
1: Yeah, and so here's a perfect, I want to start with this particular um, comment, because it just drives home the whole idea about opinion. So DVJ says, or DVG, sorry, the grunge singers, and he, he marks at 3354, okay, the grunge singers were better than the hair metal singers. And that's what the author said, okay, he says, maybe. None of the grunge singers were nearly as good as Ronnie James Dio, Bruce Dickinson, Jeff Tate, Rob Halford, or Klaus Mine. The true hair metal players were lousy musicians too. So he's clearly bothered by the fact that the author loved grunge. But I I would also have to you know pile on here and go, yeah, I think that Chris Cornell and and um, uh, Eddie Vedder, well, maybe not so much Eddie Vedder, but Chris Cornell and um, oh, what's his name? The that was in Allison in Chains.
0: Oh, um, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm Lane
1: Staley, a, yeah. as well as the Stone Temple Pilots, as well. I I would prefer those guys over Ronnie James Dio, Bruce Dickinson, Jeff Tate, or Rob Halford or Klaus Mine. You know, I'm not right, but again it's interesting that you know people have a very passionate feel about the music they love Um, i would
0: also i would also add we don't know if the grunge singers in general um what their vocal capabilities really are meaning they might be able to sing those high notes and hold those high notes like some of these heavy metal singers. They just don't because that's not what, what grunge is, is about. But as we mentioned in that episode, many of these people in grunge came up in, grew up listening to heavy metal and started out in heavy metal bands. It wasn't until they got their grunge band that they broke through and got signed. So, you know, I'm not going to discount and say, no, these guys can't sing because maybe they actually can sing quite well. That's just not the vocal styles of their band at this point.
1: Well, and it comes back to the songs themselves as well. Cause let's use this as an example. Okay. I don't like rainbow in the dark. If that's the name of the song, I, I'm just like, Oh, I can't listen to that anymore, but it's not that I don't think that Ronnie James Dio was a great singer because I think Man on the Silver Mountain is considerably better, but I would rather listen to Even Flow by Pearl Jam than I would by, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Bruce Dickinson's song, but then there's a few songs I like by Iron Maiden. You know, I just don't think it's fair to say one's necessarily better than the other. I think it literally comes down to the song. And to your point, what they're trying to.
0: What they're trying to do, what 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 kind of vocals does that song need? I mean, you know, none of those none of those, again, grunge singers were in any position with their bands, with their songs to sing in the style of a Ronnie James deal or a Rob Helford or a Bruce Dickinson. It wouldn't have worked. Right. Uh, you know, I just don't think it would have worked. It doesn't mean they can't do it. It just means it wasn't needed for those performances.
1: Well, yeah. And like uh, Joe Pisanti, he says rock and roll night is about as metal as any Slade song. It isn't put children of the grave. And uh, number of the beast on then rock and roll night, no comparison whatsoever. Rock and Roll Night is pretty much a pop song. As for the grunge argument up front, first hearing Teen Spirit, my reaction was, who are these guys? They sound like R.E.M. with a chip on their shoulder. And Pearl Jam have always sucked. I'd listen to Mark's view on rock metal anytime as he gets what each band, vocalist, etc., is about like a real music fanatic should. OK, so we can't let Mark know that someone complimented him. Yeah, but exactly. that's another, I'll let it. That's- I'll let it that out. <laughs> yeah just edit the, edit the part about mark out um but you know joe has a point but again he has passion for that uh dana mark said kiss has better songs than rock and roll night just my opinion but some of these songs that made it huge cringe if some of that garbage is in then rock and roll night should be but then we go back to the argument again when they say greatest heavy metal songs, you can't not take popularity into account because how can you make a list of 100 greatest metal songs and pick songs that that most people have never heard? nobody
0: ever heard of so exactly exactly
1: yeah so i'm not saying that it's not that kiss doesn't have better songs in rock and roll night but you know with the exception of beth and maybe a few others rock and roll night is the one that everybody knows
0: knows but but All of this discussion, whether it's about how good or bad rock and roll all night is, what's heavy metal, it all comes down to each person's personal opinion. There is no definition of heavy metal. There's a lot of people that will tell you what they think it is, but remember, that is them just sharing their opinion of it. You know, I think as I I explained in the show, I view heavy metal. It's sort of like uh, um, uh, a tree. You know, everything falls under rock. Rock and roll covers everything. Now it splits off. Rock and roll splits off into blues rock and country rock and what you know, and then you've got heavy metal, and that's another to me major major branch under heavy metal comes hard rock glam metal prog mm-hmm. metal death metal so all of those subgenres, in my mind are heavy metal and they're all considered rock and roll right well and, i mean it's and- just it's an umbrella of of relationships.
1: In which is, and that's how things get so diluted and confusing. So here's two other ones I want to read. Matthew Phillips says, and he's right here, because I remember this, uh, Sam Dunn's documentary from around 15 years ago, he- um, excuse me, Metal, A Headbanger's Journey 2008, has a great definition of heavy metal. And it comes from their interview with Scientology well, sociologist, Scientology. Sociologist Dina Weinstein. If you don't have an electric guitar with really good amps and a really good distortion, you don't have the core of metal. You also need to have a really strong bass sound with the bass guitar and the bass drum. Bob Ezrin helps to finish the definition. And then usually a vocalist who soared over the top of all of that stuff, they have to be leather-lunged in one way or another. So that is one way to kind of maybe define heavy metal
0: but but you know as i i read that comment and i think it was a really great one by that definition this is heavy metal rock and roll all night's heavy metal
1: exactly but then again there's other people who are going to say no that's a pop song and then the the tjr says hey guys love the show to me heavy metal has to be has to feature big riffs and long solos and heavy drums for some anger for me the four best Kiss metal songs are Detroit City, War Machine, God of Thunder, and I Love It Loud. So again, another perspective. And nobody's wrong. And thank you. No, guys that's that, for that's why, that's why that's
0: why it's these these sorts of list type discussions are always fun. Because yeah. nobody can be wrong. It's all about how you just personally see things and hear things. It's all it comes down to. Right. Um, All right. So this week's guest, this is such a cool discussion. Teased it a little bit up front here. We're joined by Bob Halligan, Jr. And some of you might be going, I don't know that name. And that's fine. Bob Halligan, Jr. is a very famous songwriter. Very famous. He's written with so many, so many bands, so many songs you've heard. And why he's here is he has written with KISS. He wrote a couple songs with KISS, Rise to It, "Read My Body. He shares some amazing stories of how he got connected with Paul Stanley. Shares some phone calls that he got from Gene Simmons. Um, he talks about working with the band Kicks. Talks about how he got his break writing for this little band called Judas Priest. Um, He's, listen, if you loved our Holly Knight discussion about songwriters and how that world works, you are going to love this one just as much. Um, Bob was fascinating. Plus, he does some incredible impersonations of Paul McCartney and John Lennon.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um so you gotta let this roll through to the end bob halligan YouTube. jr
3: follow and rate us on spotify subscribe and leave a review on itunes we appreciate your support hey three
0: sides of the coin we are we're always honored with our guests but man i gotta tell you this is really cool we are joined by bob halligan jr now some of you are probably going huh and huh? and 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 we've had guests like this. Bob, Bob, we had on a few weeks ago, we had Holly Knight on, which a oh, lot right. of people may not know Holly by her name, but God, yeah. they're gonna know her by her songs.
3: Good golly, you, Miss Holly.
0: You fall into that same group <laughs> where let's just start off with a little background before we start talking here. But um you you wrote this small song by a small band called judas priest some song called um some heads are gonna roll i i think a few a few of our listeners might have heard of that song
2: yeah
0: um you've also i mean you've done work with rob halford you've also done a lot of writing with the band kicks um you've worked with the band icon Mm -hmm. uh bonfire share helix and the reason you're on a KISS podcast is <laughs> you've done some songwriting with our boys in KISS as well. Yep.
3: yep. I cannot tell so, why. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so hmm. let's, um, let's get a little bit of your, your background as to how did you get into the music industry and how did you end up as a songwriter and how did that propel your career?
3: Yeah. Well, I started writing songs. Uh, Thanks for having me, lads. Really appreciate it. Um, Started writing songs sophomore year in high school, age 15. Um, Was sort of prodded by a nice comment from our music teacher. And I went down to the piano on which I had had six years of lessons as a little kid and started farting around looking for some music. And it, came very readily played the song just by happenstance for my classmates the next day in school. And they all went bananas. This was 1968. So not a lot of us at that point were writing our own songs. This was something the Beatles did or the Rolling Stones did. Um, so I was somewhat of an anomaly or a freak or, a uh, Merlin or whatever it was, you know, they, people were impressed. So I thought, well, maybe this could be my ticket. So um, played in bands, had a, a band called Steak Night, which became Pictures, which got signed as writers to United Artists Music in 1979. We were out of Syracuse, New York, and we moved to New York City in 1981 to try to further our career, because this is vastly pre-internet so in those days if you wanted to eat you had to dig where there's taters <laughs> i love it. that saying <laughs> so uh loaded up the truck and we moved to new york city and um at uh united artists the song plugger was a woman named may pang now that is a name that is I see by the nods. Yes, is I know you. John Lennon, yeah. Two out of the yeah. three of you. Yeah. She was um John Lennon's girlfriend on the long lost weekend. And there's just now a, a a documentary coming out about that. That weekend lasted 18 months. And during those months, May met everybody of significance in the music business. So she had all the connections in the world. And I wanted to impress May with my songwriting and and At this point, I want to say maybe this is uh, August, September, October of 1981. She was less than impressed by the songs I had written for my group Pictures, uh, for which United Artists was trying to get a record deal more so than placing songs with artists. And I called her on the phone. I said, May, who are you looking for songs for? And she said, well, we're looking for songs for... um, uh, Ian Lloyd from stories,
0: Louis, 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 Louis,
3: that guy um, kind of like your song full moon, Bob, but a little heavier, more like foreigner. So uh, I said, okay, let me see what I can do. This was 12 noon on a Tuesday. I hung up the phone and I sat at the piano and I got to work in a big hurry. Cause I wanted to some write something really good, really fast. So I came up with a song and got on the E train, maybe it was the F train, I don't remember, um, And from Queens into Manhattan. And at 3.30, I played her a song called Take These Chains, which appeared on the Screaming for Vengeance album by Judas Priest, note for note and word for word as I played it for her in her office at 3.30 that day literally total one-to-one translation i played her the song she said and these are the quotes that you remember in life she said i like that now that i like (laughs) and so um
0: now was she was she specifically looking for a song at that point for Judas priest or it just later ended up there
3: no so she was looking for ian lloyd from stories and I don't know if it ever was pitched to him, but it got pitched within a week or two that we made the demo. Um, It got pitched to um, the guy from The Babies, whose name is escaping me just now, John Waite. And John Waite loved the song, but he wanted to have a lunch with me and May Pang. And I think the real point there was he wanted to have a lunch with May Pang, you know, because, you know. And um, anyway, we had the lunch. And he said, Bob, I really like the song, but I like to make the lyric more bland. Now, in England, bland probably means something other than what it means here in the U.S. of A. So the idea of making my lyric, which I thought was good, more bland, meaning having less uh, spice, appeal, whatever, that made no sense to me. And I was a guy from Syracuse who was just um, naive and self-possessed enough to say, no, I don't want to do that. I didn't say that to him. I said it after the lunch to May Pang, and she delivered the news to him. So fast forward, maybe two weeks after that, my phone rings in Kew Gardens, Queens, um, back in landline uh, history, ancient history. And she said, Bob, are you sitting down? It's May. I said, yeah she said judas priest wants to do the song and i said well judas priest i was unfamiliar i have to say with them and um, my understanding was that was a swear word judas (laughs) Priest. (laughs) i told you nine times not to pick that up you know kind of thing so so i said judas tell me more and she said well you know it's the heavy metal band and i said well i wrote it on the piano did they have keyboards no I said, well, that's kind of weird, kind of a problem, maybe. She said, they'll work it out. So sure enough, they worked it out. Um, The song ended up on their biggest album. And if you can see, oh, actually, it's just up here. You can't see. You can see the end of my finger. But um, I'm seeing my first platinum record of nine that I've gotten over the years. And that was the Screaming for Vengeance uh, Priest album. And my wife, Linda, who's the smarter of the two of us, after it all happened, she said, well, you should write them another one. They may not record it, but they'll at least listen to it. So I wrote this aforementioned tender love ballad called (laughs) Some Heads Are Gonna Roll. (laughs) And sure enough, I was recording with a friend, Rick Kua, in England in the summer of 83 and had a cassette tape of the song that i'd brought with me and and brought it over to the priest management office and a few days later we get a call at the studio where we're recording and priest is recording and it's tom Allen on the phone who had produced the previous album and he said bob we want we want to do this song too and i said great of course so then Never having listened to Led Zeppelin, even, when I was in high school, I become the heavy metal song doctor because Some Heads Are Gonna Roll becomes the hit track from that album. And in 1985, you know, I I can't write them fast enough. I had 27 songs on all different records that I wrote for or with other people in 1985. We, my manager, Barry Bergman, and I, he was also my co-publisher, somewhere along the way, you know, I had three years at Screen Gems and a lot of good fortune there. Then we left Screen Gems and Barry and I started our own publishing companies together. And uh, we hired a fellow named Brian Brinkerhoff, very smart uh, music guy out on the West Coast to be our West Coast representative. And it was Brian who met Paul Stanley at some event and said, hey, Paul, I got this guy, Bob Halligan, Jr., and he's written for Judas Priest and Blue Oyster Cult and, and Kicks and Helix and Icon and you, Joan Jett and you name it, and you really ought to work with him. Well, let me see. Oh, and he wrote with Michael Bolton, too. Oh, okay. Well, I'm writing with Michael Bolton right now. So Paul Stanley um checked in with michael bolton
1: bob i want to stop you i have to ask you a question did you yeah. know who paul was at the time
3: oh yeah yeah of course okay.
1: had you ever heard any kiss music before
3: oh yeah we okay. all heard the rock and roll all night yeah yeah okay. yeah well i mean it's a fair question I wasn't born born yesterday you know <laughs> um, but, but that that is an important like question. paul
1: mccartney yeah.
3: well in fact um it I, I play Paul McCartney in a Beatlemania group. So, so I come by Fantastic. It legitimately, yeah?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, well, so you I got the play mannerisms left and everything. Play right. Yeah, you got the mannerisms.
3: Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I, I, I certainly knew who they were. Okay. Um, I had not followed their career closely, in part because um, there weren't a lot of outside songs on their records. There's a bit of that, I suppose, but it wasn't something that was kind of on my radar. And I was more of a a Beatles, Stones, Stevie Wonder and Jazz guy. Yeah. More so than heavy metal, more so than hard rock. And I just kind of fell into it sideways via May Pang, having made these pitches and Judas Priest. You know, it was it was a lucky happenstance.
0: Yeah yeah i so, mean i remember- i remember during the during the eighties i was working at some manage management company in a small indie label and your your name during the eighties was like, oh yeah, if Bob's writing a song <laughs> yeah i mean you you were that person i mean as as i said earlier, Holly Knight had I, that Knight. for a lot of the m t v stuff yeah you sure. had that as well it's like boy, yeah. if Bob halligan's name is associated to some new hard rock metal band how to check it out
2: yeah. hey, Bob, really quick um because yeah. i don't want to miss asking this question if my memory serves me wasn't take take these chains wasn't that supposed to be the first single on i remember reading because i'm a big judas Priest fan probably i remember, I remember that i want to say it was in kerrang where it was mm-hmm. that was slated to be the first single. Was yeah. was that the case?
3: Um, that rings a bell. Uh, some of these uh, things that didn't happen have fortunately uh, escaped my um, collective memory. Uh, all, all the all the hurtful uh, not quite's that <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that you know, like cockroaches. When you turn the light on, they they run away. Um And so, yeah, I think you're right about that. And uh, it, it sort of got some airplay toward the end, but, you know, thank God for, uh, you got another thing coming, you know, that worked so well for them, yeah. it for them that my song was able to really take a ride on, on the coattails of that, if you will. And yeah, then, because
2: I remember reading because this was before you got another thing coming, was even before uh, I even knew what song that was. Because yeah. I was, I always say this on the show that timeline is everything, meaning it's easier to understand if you follow the timeline. Because yeah. I remember being excited for the new record because I, that's funny, I really liked the previous record that, that they put out and it really didn't take off, um, yeah, a point of entry. But I, I think it's a great record, but. Yeah. And I remember uh, it was in, i think it was in Cry. It was just a little blip. It said, uh, "Yeah, Judas Priest." Because I didn't know who you were. And they were, yeah. all, there was—I keep on, i am you know 17 years old at the time. And they're like, "Bob Helligan, right. uh, take these chains. Slate is the next single." And that always stuck in my head. And yeah. I remember when I got the record, I absolutely loved the song. I, I mean, I'm not saying that because when Mike said you're going to be on the show, as the first thing I did, I sang it back Aww. to
3: him. Oh, that's so cool.
2: <laughs> and and this is i'm like well then when the record comes out i'm like you got another thing coming and don't get me wrong i love the song but i was like yeah what happened to the what happened what
1: to such a reader that he knows all this stuff because yeah. he commits it to memory it's amazing
3: yeah that's great well you know hey, don't ask um, me about
1: calculus though i didn't
3: I, <laughs> yeah i had trouble with calculus in college yeah, okay. um i i do think you're right mark and the concept of recording that song was they were looking for a a radio song in america and uh it never got that opportunity really in a big way but you know all all things work out to to the good if you allow them to so it it all worked out but i'm so so glad that you remember the song and liked it when it came down the pike and uh yeah. Yeah. I was, well, I was a non-entity at that point.
0: Let's, let let's, let, let's circle back and continue with, with your Paul Stanley um, yeah. connection. And you said he, he had talked to Michael Bolton.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Michael Bolton said, shall I do my Michael Bolton impression? Sure. <laughs> well, everything we've written has been recorded. I, I can't do him very well, but um Michael is a great guy and we wrote nine songs together over a period of four years and seven of them were recorded, six of them on major records. So uh, when Paul checked up on me through that conduit, it was all good. And so uh, we got the go ahead. I was staying at the time with my friend Graham Shaw in Canada Wonderful singer-songwriter up there. This was in 88 or so, I guess, or 89. Yeah, that
0: would, would have would have been around 88, probably, if you were working on it with them. Yeah.
3: So um I got the news, and um, I sort of went into my heavy metal mode of and I did know those those four sort of characters, if you will, from KISS. And so I imagined, as I did with priests or other things, I imagined being one of them. And, you know, it's kind of like acting, like method acting, or I don't know. But in any event, I placed myself in their persona on their stage, and, uh, and I came up with Rise to it. And so I had the, the intro lick and the verse and the chorus. And, um, because I knew I was going to write with them and it's always good to show up with something when, when you do one of these co-writes and I had a feeling some of the really younger, younger bands, um, didn't really want to hear what a guy in his thirties, which I was at the time, um, th- thought about life or how they should sing their songs. What their song should be, et cetera. Whereas Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, my sense was these were businessmen. These were smart guys who wanted to have hit records. They'd already had success. And they knew obviously knew how to do it. And so they weren't going to look a gift horse in the mouth. They were, if I showed them something good, they'd probably go, oh, yeah, that's cool. So I had that. Uh, arrow in my quiver when Paul Stanley showed up at my apartment on West 112th Street between Riverside and Broadway and, which was an eerie experience to have one of the most famous people on planet Earth walk into your apartment you know mm-hmm. And he came in you guys will enjoy this story um, you know I think of Paul, Stan- Paul Stanley is the muscle guy From kiss right with the hairy chest yep Mm -hmm. so and i've never ever been the muscle guy in any club or (laughs) situation um i'm reasonably fit for my age but uh i i was never you know bodybuilder type guy so anyway um i did have though a a chin-up bar in our apartment and i would do however many six seven eight nine chin ups you know, three times a week whatever it was. So, if you're familiar with chin up bars and you may or may not be, it, um, there are things that you install on the on the door jam or you know the sides of, and that the bar can sit in. Mm-hmm. But you remove the bar so that you can walk through the doorway. Because otherwise, you know, you're gonna. <clears throat> Your forehead on it, so the the bar was removed. But when Paul came in, he could see those little holders for the bar, and he said, "Is that for a chin up bar?" And I said, "Yeah," because I'm thinking (laughs) this is good. You know, I'm with the muscle guy, you know. And he looks at it and he says, "Lift my whole body weight with my biceps?" I don't think so. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay uh, Well I flunked that part um, But hopefully he'll like The song that I've got ready For him And sure enough I played you know I don't have the guitar going But And did the song All that style All gone to waste Sang the song for him And I did the the verse I had just the first verse And the chorus and the intro And I played it around a couple of times So it could become an earworm You know Rather than just assuming that One listen he'd know it mm-hmm. And um, I finished it Playing it through a couple of times And he goes Yeah that's good. He said, let's finish that. So um, I had left the second verse blank and the idea of a bridge was open-ended. Um, because in in a co-write, the other person, whether it's Paul Stanley or Donnie Purnell from Kix or whomever it is, Michael Bolton, the other person has to have a room enough real estate for them to take ownership mm-hmm. and see their fingerprints on it you know especially if they're the artist i'm just right. the helper guy i'm the song roadie if you will you know um so the my approach worked well and paul and i spent an hour or two and finished it And um, then we booked another co-writing session um, to just try something from scratch. And so I went to his apartment, which was, I want to say, in the 50s on the east side. I don't really remember. This is a a zillion years ago, 88, as we spoke about. And nothing really came out of starting from scratch. So then I went back to the drawing board. We had Rise to it in the bag. And um, I came up with Read My Body. So on that, I had the guitar riff and the verse and the chorus. Um, And I don't know who called who, but I said, you know, I got something else that I want to show you. And uh, I showed him Read My Body. And it was the same reaction. Yeah, yeah, cool. Let's finish that. Um. And. And I think that was that. Yeah, that was again at his apartment. Um. Yes, it was for sure. So you know, we made just a reference recording of it and uh great so it seemed like i had two songs on the record uh we you know we finished that one and he kept talking about well we're gonna have tone loke do the verses rap the verses oh my god I've whoa never I've, heard never heard that. Heard that. I've never heard well, that never well you've heard it here first baby <laughs> um that was the concept and i was expecting that to take place because that's what i was told Um, so anyway, fast forward, I don't know, months and, uh, Gene and Paul, um, and I have Gene stories too to throw into this later, but, uh, finishing with this, um, the phone rings that, you know, they were recording in a studio in Hollywood, I guess it was Mm -hmm. for this record. You know, it was really kind of a demo studio. If I recall, Mm -hmm. yeah, you do recall. Yeah, and um, my, again, landline uh, era, my phone rings, I want to say, a quarter to three in the morning, and my wife Linda and I are sound asleep, and we're we're at this apartment on 112th Street in Manhattan, and um, Bob, it's Paul, and I want to play you what we've done on Rise to It and uh and i'm trying to wake up <laughs> so okay this is what am i going to tell him call back in the morning you know mm-hmm. right so um he plays it and it s- sounds really good what little you can tell over a landline a phone telephone, yeah telephone you know but it sounded great he was hitting all the notes as he does and uh so Um, it, it was great, but you know, that the song came out and it was a single and it just didn't, it wasn't meant to be, it got to like, I want to say number 89, you guys would be the experts on that.
0: You know, that that's always been sort of Kiss's problem though. Very rarely do any of their singles perform as well as they should have performed because, and we've always said this on the show. They're fighting that kiss mystique. Oh, it's just it's kiss. They're not a real band. They're makeup, they're pyro, you know. Yeah. But to to that point, that same album had the song Forever, which yeah. Paul wrote with Michael, Michael. Bolton, yeah. which went top
3: ten. Yeah. And that I believe that came first. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but if not I think first the first,
0: came- the first single was Hide Your Heart. Okay which holly knight yeah was involved in then came um forever yeah and then i
1: think rise it was it. rise to it yeah so which i think is the best song on the record i ah. love that song
3: See I now, i i knew i liked you <laughs> lower left hollywood square tommy boy I know. <laughs> I do.
1: I, i've always it's on my it's on my playlist still
3: wow
2: stay yeah it's a uh, great Bob, song. who came up with the acoustic intro
3: that was paul i guess i it wasn't me um i think they they just wanted to try a, a an acoustic bluesy sort of vibe um so that was in the studio rather than in the writing of the song um yeah so uh i think guys forever came out and was a huge hit as we've said but For the Kiss vibe, which is the (laughs) kind of thing, a lot of people said, hey, you know, what's this Michael Bolton saccharin stuff? And it, it turned a lot of people off to the point that I think Rise To It was a little bit, if not DOA, it was hampered by the fact of the um are they now uh m- middle of the road band or uh you know you guys have to pick and you know how far Well you know I I I would also I would
0: also add that when rise to it came out if you remember the video that's where Gene and Paul put the makeup yeah. back on for the video I was so the, so the it. song itself almost really got overshadowed by the fact oh my god they put the makeup back on is there going to be a reunion what does this mean we're not listening to the song they've got makeup on
3: yeah yeah i I like that you've you've found a way to blame something other than my song
1: (laughs) well (laughs) in 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 fairness too though we've talked about this a lot too as well bob maybe you'll agree that things have changed so much because if you think about music in the 60s and the 70s, not so much the 60s from what I can see, although I grew up listening to all that. In the 70s, it was like you went to the, the record store to buy the 45 that you like. And it could be Smoke on the Water, but could also be you know, a John Denver song. No yeah. one ever cared about who the artist was. You liked the song, you bought the record. Yeah. By the time we got into the late 80s, because the metal thing had become so such a formula to, yeah and, and yeah. i think a lot of the younger fans don't they lost a lot of that appreciation for different types of music because they're so locked in to yeah. one kind and i think it still exists today because if i go to a festival and it's a country festival for the most part it's only country artists if it's a metal festival it's only metal it's not yeah. going to be pop rock or middle of the road yeah and so how do you ever diversify so that if it's not metal, it's like yeah. it, they just what like, was metal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think that's or is it fucking slayer yeah. whatever it say. you know and i just yeah. think that people are getting cheated
3: yeah because oh, of the a-
1: fact that they don't they haven't broadened their their musical yeah. test
3: that's a beautiful way to say it and and radio of course is responsible for that and they yeah I'll, I'll reference that in the i want to say it was maybe late 80s or early 90s when in radio, the urban stations—well, let me say it this way: the the big city stations, New York, LA, Chicago, etc., were given uh, proportionately much more weight in radio world, and then hence in r- record company world. Yeah. And what happened is that the urban music became supreme, and the john Mellencamp's and whatever else started to shrink and that was kind of when the hip-hop thing took over from all the rest of the stuff and it was cheated is the is tommy is a great way to say it man that um the audience including the four of us uh, didn't get that mix of like w- what I grew up with was exactly what you're talking about. There could be a hard rock, there could be um Freddie and the Dreamers. I'm telling you now, there mm-hmm. could be John Denver, there could be a- an instrumental mm-hmm. from Dwayne Eddy like or or whatever. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right, exactly.
3: Yeah. Um, there was all that stuff, and it w- if it was good, it could be a hit, yeah. Um, and then at a certain point it had to be it had to hit all the marks that radio prescribed for it us.
1: almost feels like disco is what did it because that's when i really yeah. started to see the division between people who liked rock and roll yeah and people who liked disco yeah. and the people who liked rock and roll really hated disco yeah and because of an overwhelming popularity to your point of the bigger stations in the larger cities You know, they were saying that people were literally walking out of Saturday Night Fever, going right next door into the record store and buying that record. And it became almost overwhelming. And then by the time we hit mid 80s, like I said, it's like everyone was either you love Judas Priest. Tommy, so many of our
2: so many of our favorite rock bands, Kiss included, played danceable or had success. Rod Stewart, Rolling Stones. Yeah. Oh, I'll even go. You know, Alice Cooper with dance. I mean, uh, with the that's not a hit, but it was on the on the Go to Hell
1: record. But it had that that dancing well, bass. I one. would say yeah. Clones is a is a co- a closer match for well, that. Clones but, is more new wavy right? But it was still a change. But I think the bigger issue was is that Kiss got punished for "I Was Made for Loving You." But do you think I'm sexy from Rod Stewart? seemed yeah, to be number, just fine. Number one or miss yeah. you?
2: Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. and, and, you know what I think really hurt was once the 80s hit, and especially with the, the hard rock coming out of Sunset Strip, the labels discovered a clear formula. Yeah, Meaning meaning not, not just the album cover, not just the look of the band, but first single needs to be a good rock song to make the hard rock fans happy. But the second single, and you can look at every band in the 80s second (laughs) single is the power ballad the power ballad which we hope is going to take this band and cross them from aor to adult contemporary which is where the big time bucks happen and then if they have to go to a third single then you can go back to more of a rock song but you've you've cashed in with that power ballad i mean i mean there's just, just no denying it during the yeah. 80s the power ballad was king of music if you yeah. didn't have if you didn't have that power ballad your album was dead on the day of release
3: yeah hey uh does that lead us into the subject of not kiss but kicks For sure you, may i talk about uh, power yes. ballad uh don't close your eyes which is yeah. hold on their biggest song this one here you see and uh the album it came from is down here and there's the kiss boys by the way (laughs) um anyway that was a song that was not meant to be released and uh they were out on tour with like uh white lion or one of these other groups um and the manager for the other group Would go into Atlantic and say, you know, they're playing this song. Don't close your eyes at their shows. Kicks is, and they're getting a great response. And it just feels like a hit to me. Why don't you guys put that up? No, 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 no. Whatever. And the guy persisted. God bless him. I don't. Again, I don't know who it was. And they put the record out. The first week it got two stations. The second week it got two more stations. The third week, it got two more stations, which is peanuts is nothing. Yeah. The fourth week, it got two more stations. The fifth week, it got nine more stations. And then it was off to the races. And I think it was on the charts. I know it was at least 23 weeks. And it's
1: got to be their biggest hit.
3: Yeah. And it got to number 12 and. Stayed there for four weeks and then it lost the bullet and it fell up to 11. It never quite made the top 10, but it was on an album, late night k type album called probably called Power Ballads. Right. That sold millions of copies. I'm going to make years a, after the fact.
2: A bold statement about Kix, K-I-X, that I don't know how they didn't get really big I yeah. I actually I saw them at Harpo's and I was going to see I forget the headline band and Village when people? I saw kicks I was like this band's incredible yeah they, they, it was before that because this was uh when uh cold shower I think I I love uh-huh. this yeah. um but the, the record with the don't close your eyes that that had like midnight uh what midnight uh, TNT that that band was so effing good and they wrote just so many great songs i don't know how they didn't hit you know like i mean they they just kind of stayed bubbled under i mean the song did well but yeah. they are very
1: entertaining. They're really,
2: really good. Yeah. I
1: wonder if it was their management because it, the funny thing about those guys is I remember for years seeing ads for them in the back of Hit Parader. That's true. I In Circus too. Yeah. going, who are these guys? I've never heard any of their songs. I don't have any friends who even know who the hell they are. Hmm. And I just thought that whole thing was bizarre. And now oh. you see them at all these different rock festivals and they draw really well in the, people love them. what yeah. steve is this who's the singer steve
3: steve, steve whiteman And
2: um yes and, what energetic and
0: he's he's fantastic
2: yeah i have the funny money stuff too because after kick oh
0: funny money is great that's great really i know
2: yeah. it's funny because when i saw them and it would have been um the before right before blow my fuse came out that's the record that has uh uh right bob's song on it yeah. I saw them just previous to that. And that's when I became a fan. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. And I followed them along all the way through the funny money stuff. And I'm like, "How did these guys not get big? Yeah. Because they had the songs, man.
3: Yeah, God,
2: There's so many great songs in it. Cat- uh,
3: I'll say a couple of things. I, um, I think Tommy is not wrong about the management um, thing. I don't think they ever quite had. The perfect fit you know the same way the Beatles had Brian Epstein right um and and your guys had Bill LaCoin if I'm right yes Um, you know there's that magic combo that they didn't quite have um and uh Steve Whiteman was fantastic front man Donnie Purnell wrote uniformly great songs with me or whomever else and I think I had 10 songs on Kix Records over the years yeah. Um so that's number 1. Number 2 coming now to the present day, actually maybe next month. Um I've been producing for 3 years now um a new album from Donnie Purnell, the leader and songwriter of Kicks, who has not been in the group for 25 years. Uh and he's written a whole lot of songs in that time not a lot of which are prototypical kicks songs. It's a wide range of stuff, but great songs and his new album, which is called hooray is going to be coming out in the next month or so. And it's, it doesn't really sound like kicks, but golly gee, you know, these are great, great songs. And we've literally worked on it all through the pandemic and um donnie god bless him is very particular and we, we got every hair in place in ways that um a, a lower profile artist on atlantic records didn't have the money or the the clout to do and we've made him happy he, I'm, he's smiling that's the way he says it. i'm smiling and uh he deserves to smile and he's a wicked good talent. He sings the songs. He's not like a Steve Whiteman, like a a high tenor, raspy, edgy guy. He's he's more like a, an acquired taste. Um, guy sings like this kind of thing, but it's wicked good. So I just wanted to let you know that definitely going to keep an eye out album Hooray yeah, coming.
1: Yeah, and yeah. since we're talking about kicks too, you know they're calling it a day here this fall.
3: Yeah, you're right. In September, I want to say is
0: September is the final show. And I think if I read correctly, Donnie is coming back for the final show.
3: Well, they should. um, That's all I'm going to say about it. They should have Donnie play the final show.
2: Well, they were from where?
3: Baltimore, I think, weren't they? Baltimore, more ish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. like yeah, like s- s- the south of Pennsylvania and the north of Maryland, and Baltimore would be the big city they were in. Like I said,
2: I, I'm in Detroit. And they were never huge in Detroit, but I I saw them at Harpo's, and again, they were opening for somebody. Yeah. And I just sat there with my mouth. I'm like, yeah, fucker,
1: these <laughs> yeah. guys are
2: great.
1: Well, it all tells it. I mean, Brian Forsythe is a great guitar player. Yeah you know so go out and see them if you guys are listening to this and you don't know who they are you'll certainly know some of their songs go out and support them because literally they're done this fall that
2: kicks remains in my top five of i went in saw the opener and i've said this on the show many times i was one of those kids that always wanted to see the opener because i didn't know if that sort of magic was going to happen it didn't happen often but when it did i was very happy kicks is right at the top of that list. Yeah. I went going okay and I'm like, oh, fuck, what's this?" Oh my yeah. god, these guys are great. I mean, just yeah. everything about them, the show and more so than anything, the songs and the energy incredible Amen. band. Should have yeah. deserved better.
3: Yeah. That's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, you 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 mentioned you had some Gene Simmons.
3: Yeah, well, stories so, uh Linda and I were living in Southport, Connecticut and the phone rings one evening. And Linda picks it up and she said, oh, okay, well, he's here. Hold on one second. And she cups the phone. She said, it's Gene Simmons. (laughs) So I go over to the phone. (laughs) This is is somewhere 84, 85, 86. Those were the years we lived there. And um, I pick up the phone and I say, the Gene Simmons? And he goes, yeah. He said, I'm calling you directly because I heard your manager was a prick. (laughs) <laughs> and and I said, Gene, I'm sorry. I do have to stop you right there. My my manager Barry Bergman is one of my two or three best friends in the world. He's a great guy. He's an unusual guy. He's a quirky guy, but he's not a prick. And I I take exception to that characterization. He said, Okay, no, no, no. I you know I didn't mean to offend anybody. I just wanted to be sure I got you on the phone. I said, okay. So um, that was a kind of a, a, a prickly beginning to uh, really a phone relationship. We've never met in person. Um, we talked on the phone about working with, he had a, um, you guys will help me with all this stuff. He had a, like a boy band. They were Asian. They were from maybe Korea or Japan. Ezo, yeah. Ezo, yeah, boy They weren't a boy band. They, he, boy band. they no, were. They, I they mean, were, that was my shorthand. Yeah. I wasn't sure what it was because it's. Yeah, it's, no, they they they, they were memory. a metal
0: metal band. Uh huh. Yeah, from Japan that came out on Geffen. He produced them. I'm not uh-huh. sure. Was he also managing them? And Maybe. apparently, he had he had to teach them to speak English because they couldn't uh, even speak English.
3: Yeah. So. He, I, if I recall, I had a lunch with one of them or some of them or their, I don't know, but I I remember, you know, they were sort of all hip and groovy looking and, um, but nothing ever came of it. And I'm not, I'm not sure why maybe the, there was a language barrier thing. Um, there was some other and again I've, i rely on you experts to help me uh cuz this is in the misty mists of time uh the the artist doro did doro, did, doro pesh did doro pesh did she ever have any dealings with Gene or no um
0: jean produced an album by yeah. her okay she, there we go he co-wrote with
3: her uh, she's she's recorded
0: wrong. some She's covered some Kiss songs. Yeah, okay. Only You
1: was one of them. Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he, I guess, he wanted me to work with her, and I suppose nothing happened with that. But the 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 funny story that that I remember, and this is sort of talking out of school, but it's you know thirty years later or whatever this is. Um, I remember, on my last phone call with gene was after the guys had recorded the hot in the shade album or maybe they were in the middle of it i don't remember but it would have been 88 89 90 whatever and uh, uh he said now that song read my body i said yeah he said did you come up with that guitar riff or was that paul I said, well, that that was me. And he said, I thought so. So there there it is. And, uh, you know, maybe well, somebody he's going to come and slap me for this. Yeah, today. I wonder
0: why he's asking is Paul was Paul telling Gene that he came up with the riff.
3: <laughs> I'm going to leave that to your fertile <laughs> imaginations, fellas.
1: <laughs> Well, those two are just like yeah they're always trying to one up each other i think uh-huh constantly it's that it's that's the relationship um well okay so i've got a couple of questions for you bob okay people who are able to write songs like you are always fascinating to me because i'm not a musician and i like to i'd like when we share this with our listeners how do you go about writing a song and then how does how do you work with different people i I, i'm assuming everyone's different so you you know you've already said you uh, like to come to the meeting with something but how do you do it how do you write a song do you sit down on the piano what do you do yeah well
0: and and let let me add to that because i was going to ask it but it goes right along with this do you research the artist meaning like when you were going to work with paul stanley for the hot in the shade did you go get the Previous two or three Kiss albums. Give them a listen to get a feel for where they were coming from and what they sound like now. Would you ask Paul to go? Is there a theme? Is there a direction? Or is it? Yeah. Do you try and do it without any influence whatsoever?
3: Well, that's a, that is a great question, and it, in my uh, endeavors, it varied. I remember calling Diane Warren on the phone and asking her questions about Share for that very reason so that thematically i would know what to head toward or away from right um but with kiss you know i just used my initial impression from 19 was it 76 and um my understanding of who they were was from that first burst onto the scene and i just thought why try to uh micromanage and fine-tune and don't overthink it get too granular not not overthink it exactly and so i i as i say i was at my friend graham shaw's house up in toronto and uh staying in his basement and there was a guitar down there and i just imagined, um and and knowing that sexual innuendo would be you know a good realm i thought of this you know uh cagey way of talking about having an erection um and uh I figured that would appeal to him it's it it sounded and smelled like a kiss song to me so that that was the quest you know um I there was no part of me that said you know these guys maybe they're going to want to go more prog rock or or do some uh folky tunes or whatever um they didn't they didn't call me to change them they called me to support them to to help achieve you know and and those guys have had great songs over the years but as as a genre the whole heavy metal sort of hair band thing those guys major in cheekbones not songwriting and as a songwriter my thing is melody and interesting lyrics that stick in somebody's mind
1: but that's because of how you were raised and the time you're from that's yeah. kind of the point that so much yeah. of that is lost now and i've granted to, to michael's point earlier they have a formula that works so you got to have hot girls in the video you have <laughs> to have this type of thing there's a certain thing and, and, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with any of that but you yeah. also lose so much other possibility yeah when you box yourself in
3: yeah and, and the great thing with Gene and Paul is that my sense of melody was welcome. Um, when I worked with her um, Nugent and I cover my mouth because I don't like, I don't want any film getting out saying that I said his name correctly. Wow. I love
1: him. Yeah. He, yeah. he's All excessive. right. All right. But I was,
3: I stayed at his house in Michigan uh for three days and two nights and um we were working on we didn't start working until 10 p.m
1: did he take so you out and we, have you kill shit
3: he was more interested in you know that the mm-hmm. hunting mm-hmm. part of his life um so his girlfriend at the time would bring us out a pot of tea and uh we'd sit with guitars And anyway, we were working on a song idea and I sang, I don't know if we had a lyric or what, but I sang how I thought it should sing. And Ted said to me, don't worry about that, Bobby, the singer will come up with something. And I thought like, I don't know if you are baseball guys, but him saying that was as if he took the bat right out of my fricking hands. Because I'm there to bring melody and something memorable, something hooky to, you know, you, you don't need me here for guitar riffs. You can do that. But we're trying to write a song. And um, so that was not his mode at that time. And I'll, let's say that was 84, 85. Well, and that's traitor, interesting
1: you say that, because we had uh, Snake on uh, three, four weeks ago. He's the guitar player, Dave, in uh, Skid Row. And they have a new record out. They have a new singer. And he, the the singer, Eric, uh, is from, was it Finland? I don't remember. But he in was in the uh, Navy.
0: Yeah. yeah, he
1: was across the pond. And they sent him all of the music for this new record. And they said they had guide vocals. So it seems odd to me that you can write a song and not have a a vocal melody with the song because isn't that, isn't that encompassing? Yup. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. It's like baking a cake. That's that's interesting because
2: Ted was lost at that. No. So Ted was lost at that point in in the mid 80s. Seemingly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm serious. Look, as a huge fan, he was. Yeah. Yeah. I can see why they brought you you win yeah. to 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 do that sort of and work with him
3: but it, and it it didn't it didn't bear fruit um there was a song that i had written by myself that i made a demo of with my friend mark ribbler who's the music director for little steven and the the whatever that group is called um and uh and i played it for him it's called heads or tails and he seemed to like it. And I left him a cassette of it. And then a month or two go by and he calls me on the phone. He said, Bobby, we recorded your song, Heads or Tails. And he plays it to me down the phone that, you know, unsatisfying experience. But I'm thrilled that he's recorded it. Right. And he said, uh, you know, I, I kind of Nugentized it a little bit. Uh, who do I talk to about getting a piece of it? Mm-hmm. So... um. And I was signed as a writer to Screen Gems at that time. And I said, well, and I had some experience of this kind of thing. And I so I said, you know, you need to call Screen Gems because they own the song, which was true. Um, and I rang off the phone call and I thought, well, this is probably not going to happen because Screen Gems probably aren't going to give him a piece of the song. I wouldn't ask them to. You know, it's like the same way I don't come knocking on Ted's door and ask him for 8% of his merch sales. I didn't really think he should reach into my pocket and take a hunk of mine. And I have no problem saying this about him because um, of any number of things. Anyway, uh, fast forward many years, I want to say it's 2003 with he and his wife put out a book that's about cooking and hunting and stuff. Yes, correct. Yes. And uh the he did a book signing in Nashville. Now this is 18 years since I had seen him, but I stayed in his home for 3 days. Not in a hotel down the road. I was in his house. Um and uh so I bought the book and I got in the quite long line in Barnes and Noble or wherever it was. And I get up there and I'm hoping a, that he'll remember me, but B that if he doesn't, he'll be gracious about it. So you guys with me so far? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So not only does he not remember me, he makes no attempt. He just said, did we write anything worthwhile? Like I was, you know, a, a gnat on a piece of fruit in a bowl in front of him. And so I tell that story <laughs> um, because it may be of some interest to you guys and your audience, but also, you know, when you're talking about, I don't like to use the word character, but um, it, it was disappointing, let's say that. Now, had, it, had I been the Ted Nugent person and he been the Bob Halligan Jr., um, you know, down the ladder several rungs, I think I would have said, "Oh, right, man. It's, oh, it's so good to see you, even if I didn't remember the person. You know what? Re- refresh my memory. Now, what year was that? and da 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 da. You know, didn't have to invite him out for dinner, but but it was so incredibly dismissive. Oh, did we do anything worthwhile? Like, no attempt to act like, um, you know, it had any import in his life.
2: It just, so. just as a fan, I can tell you, at that time, he was lost. I mean, it. it uh, look, I, I know you know enough about his career. He literally three years earlier,
3: he was playing stadiums. Yeah, no, I know. Stadiums. Yeah, seventy six and, and, and seventy seven. He was the highest grossing that, act in North America. Boom! See, that is so yeah.
2: often forgot. The again, oh, ladies yeah. and gentlemen.
3: Yeah, it that was big.
2: Serious. Well, well, that's my whole point. By the the, the early eighties, were not very good to him, and and not just him. Bands like Foghat. You know, I mean, yeah, that sort of rock. You know, yeah. it, it it didn't again. So, again, I'm yeah. not making excuses for Ted. That's, you know, I, I feel bad as a human that that story happened. But before you even told the story, what did I say? He was lost
1: at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah.
2: And, and, wouldn't and it would be and, more and like I, a fly I think, on a
1: carcass. <laughs> <laughs> <Hey,
2: laughs> Whack um, them, pack and stack yeah. them. I, I tell you what, I got to run, Bob. All thank right, you so much. I yeah. have personally run because I'm yeah. running a business, and I only got an hour to do this. Uh, right, love you, work, my friend. Uh, thank you thank for joining you. us. And, Very sweet. Uh, we had fun, and roll, gentlemen. Have a great right. rest of the show. Take care, All Mark.
0: You. We'll 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 thank keep the, we'll keep
1: it rolling here. All right. Yeah. But yeah. And, and um, I suppose that you're, there are some people that you're going to get along with better than others. And there's yeah. some that you click with some that you don't, but I yep. still would love for you to answer that question earlier that, that Michael expanded yeah. on. Is this is like, just how, how do you write a song? Do you, yeah. do you just get, you wake up in the, like two in the morning, and you're like, Hey, I got a melody or I got an idea. Does it yeah. come that way? Does it come in a variety of ways?
3: Variety of ways is the best, best, my best answer. Okay. Um, rise to it i i i can't really remember um staying on the kiss subject um if it if i had the idea of if uh if i if you give me an occasion i'm gonna rise to it boy um i don't know if i do the uh don't was the riff for the verse
1: yeah
3: uh i don't know if that came first or rise to it i think that riff only was to go along with the the hook lyric and melody okay. um as as a kind of a duet a lot of times the instrumental th- thing the main instrument is kind of a duet with the voice that's part of how i look at it but are, you, are
1: you speaking of like the, the, the melody of the, of the song itself with that, or what are you trying to say?
3: Yeah, like the um, I'm gonna while we're talking, I have to get an acoustic guitar because the electric is not plugged in and it won't translate. Okay, but um, you know, there's a lot of times there's kind of an interaction, yeah, because
1: we had we had Kip Winger on a few weeks ago and i don't know if you're familiar with kip's work but not only you know i wrote one of the kick songs with kip okay so kip was talking a lot about about his um classical career because he writes or composes classical music and we talked about what's the difference between writing a rock song and all that so this stuff is fascinating to our listeners because it's interesting to see inside or behind the curtain
3: yeah um so what i was saying there Tommy is the where it goes, and I don't know if I can make these notes right now, but that's I'll, okay. I'm to yeah. That, yeah, is kind of uh, an answer, but the you know, so the the riff, so they you're trying to get them to dovetail and work together, but when you know, think of it like a basketball game. Like the guy with the ball isn't the only guy out there. The other four guys are trying to get in position to receive the ball from him and do something with it. Okay. So, you know, I go I'm going to bad. and I pass the ball to the guitar guy. You know, I Okay. back to me. Bob uh, just real quick you're
0: I think you're 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 um maxing out your mic here because oh, you were sorry, cutting sorry. out that's that's no, okay but that's okay, but that's okay you know. Though, it's it's gives us potent. an idea it, it, oh. And you know, for a second there, I was like, it sounds like Paul McCartney singing Kiss.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that was a what great example. All right. So, but let's talk about McCartney. All right. Cause he is to me, uh, look, Paul Stanley and Paul McCartney for me are two of the best songwriters ever because yeah. I love what they do. Yeah. But Paul McCartney being the one who came before.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Do you as a, a as a young man growing up, listening to the Rolling Stones, listening to the Beatles, do you find yourself influenced in the way you write songs
3: simply because of what you've heard in the past? Totally. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, the, the Beatles, it, there was so much melody. It's and unbelievable. Young people. Uh, I taught songwriting at syracuse university for 10 years and uh in oh. seminars kind okay. of all over planet earth um but people don't often understand what melody is and you explain well it's the thing that the singer is singing that's the mm-hmm. melody the notes that are attached to the words that i'm putting out there but bump but bump let's see uh so It has notes. When we speak, it has notes you know. And um there, there's a whole kind of science to melody. in in my case, it's a combination of the gift of melody, which I've had since a little kid. Uh, combined with learning about it and what makes it tick what makes it work what gives it structure Uh, the the McCartney song yesterday is the example I often go to um, yesterday if you do the arithmetic so it's two one one I don't want to get too boring but Ba-dum-ba-dum. that's a two-one one on a new chord. four three three. So you hear the yeah. it's the same same relationships all the way through. Yeah, and then ba dum bum dum bing dum.
1: Okay. You because know, so it has shape to it. And that's my biggest issue with heavy metal is because I don't consider kiss heavy metal. I consider them hard rock in the same way. And I would consider Led Zeppelin, but so many of the metal bands that I see are now nowadays, I'm not speaking of past are some of them are just completely lacking melody. I mean, the song structure is there and who am I to critique because I'm not a songwriter, but it's like just listening to it. I'll give you a perfect example. I think one of the best, Metal songs written in the last couple of years has been by a band called Pretty Reckless, and the song is Death by Rock and Roll. Because not only does it have the really great back end melody do, 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 it's very consistent, but uh-huh. then Taylor Monson, who, who is the singer, she sings over oh. the top of that, uh-huh. and it's just To me, it's like, wow, is this a really well-written song? Whereas so often I see some of these metal bands and they've got the melody from the guitar part. I don't know if I'm saying this right, but then the vocals just completely lack everything. It's just it just gets washed away as noise.
3: Yeah. Where it's just kind of a two or three note riff and (laughs) stuff. I'm just like, Yeah. Yeah. And And, uh, so I mean, on something really simple like that there is melody but there there isn't melody in the sense of uh something that like the same reason uh william Matar's law firm is called the firm with the four is called four 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 because it's so easy to remember right and if we say four six eight six eight six eight we can remember that because we see the shape of it and our everything about us works that same way. We're we're looking for home. We're looking for something that we can perceive and understand. Two plus two equals four. Oh, I get that. That makes sense. Yeah. And so we're looking for those kinds of shapes and and forms. And when we don't get them, we become listless. And our only ability r- remains to reach out and turn the station to something that has some of that form and shape and that sense of like grit, all great art has uh, two elements where you, you feel like a sense of home and then a sense of adventure. Like you go to a new place, but then you come back home. So it's that the, the familiar and the fresh, and you have to have both, but if you don't have something that's familiar that you can uh, grab onto and make sense of um, then all is lost lads do
1: you think some of that has lost with the newer artists only because like i was saying earlier how it's changed so much and people are just so dialed into one type of music i my understanding is with paul is he was always even to this day on top of everything that's on the radio he knows all these songs yeah. so you how can you not be affected? with your writing when you hear this huge palette of sounds and different songs but if you're in a in a hardcore metal band and that's all you hear yeah i don't know it feels like it limits what they can do
3: yeah oh totally it's it's the proverbial oh the singer will come up with something kind of sensitive that's
1: just weird to me
3: yeah um everybody values different things Right. As I say, a lot of those bands majored in cheekbones, not in songwriting. And, right. uh, and, but Gene and Paul understood that the songs had to make some sense, tell some kind of a story, have a punchline, if you will, you know.
1: Well, and they're from the same generation, you know, they they grew up on all of that music. Yeah. And so to me, yeah, I love the makeup. I love the excess. I love the explosions. But honestly, if if I didn't love the songs, I wouldn't yeah. be listening to them. No matter right. how big the pyro is, yeah. And I think that sometimes gets lost for them because, like Mark always says, if you don't like Kiss, it's because you've never listened to them because they have a really wide ranging, yeah, type or group of songs that you can pick from depending yeah. on what you what you do or don't like. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, for me, I'm always searching. Like you said, I'm searching for something familiar. And and luckily, you know, I, I photograph over 200 bands a year and I do a bunch of festivals. I wow. found so many great artists that I would never know about if yeah. I hadn't gone there and experienced them myself.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. And uh, with with Gene and Paul, you know, they had musicality and maturity. Yeah. and so they they understood we got to have songs we can't you know you can't polish a turd you know you 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 have to uh
0: well i mean you can't you years? can't you can't last 50 years if you've never written a good song right
1: yeah it's impossible and i think that that's also kind of what happened with um you know the hair metal in the 80s is that that formula drove the record label to signing people who just had no ability to actually write songs yeah and that's how grunge took over because to me grunge is just as much heavy metal as the 80s metal it's just in a different package because if you think about it listen to some of the ccr stuff from the late 60s that's pretty heavy edge same with like the kinks and fogarty dressed in you know, flannel shirt and jeans. Geez, yeah. well, here we are 1991. Uh, thi-
0: thi- thi- this this may be an interesting comment considering you are a songwriter for other artists, but I sort of feel like, especially coming out of the 80s, as you got more and more of these bands and artists who couldn't write on their own. Yeah. Maybe they could play great. Maybe they could look great. Maybe they can do a great show, but they couldn't write. So the labels would bring in the bob halligans to write their songs right they'd have a hit big hit minor hit but can you as an artist sustain a career if you're relying on somebody else to always write your songs for you shouldn't you have to be able to write on your own and bob halligan comes in to support what you're doing right, right. you're already a great songwriter yeah. i'm just supporting it if yeah. you can't write anything well the next time you write a release an album and you don't have somebody who's willing to pay to bring in songwriters what are you left with
3: yeah nothing uh, absolutely and and guys you reference the uh the grunge period those guys could write yeah you know um nirvana etc pearl jam and th- they they had a point of view and and they had some musicality and that that was their thing and they they were very creative and uh sadly it kind of put me out of business in that, that in the rock thing right because they didn't need me right and god bless them you know they they had that talent um for where they wanted to go. Um, it was great. It's, it's, really. it's
0: kind of interesting. You're sort of, your career is sort of relying on musicians to not have <laughs> all the talent.
1: Yeah. You need more Ted Nugent's that'll actually listen yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. If, if, if you suck, I like you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,
0: well, so, well, so, so, so Bob, before, before we wrap up here, let's segue this into your new music. And yeah. and you've got a band. It's not yep. a new band. It's been around for a while. Um, Kaylee Rain. Yeah. Describe this band because it's a unique and very interesting mix of musical styles.
3: Yeah. You know, it's not Judas Priest for Kiss. No, no sir. <laughs> um Here's the uh, album cover. The album. So it's our group, Kaylee Rain. The album is called Crash This Gate. That gate is in um, Bratislava, Slovakia, because that's where our art designer lives. It's a small world. Um, Kaylee Rain is if the Beatles and the Chieftains, who are a a Celtic uh, folk music group from Ireland. um, If the Beatles and the Chieftains got together, but John Lennon said to the Chieftains, Patty, we love what you're doing and everything. But you got to slow it down so people can take it in in one listen, yeah? So instead of... um, <laughs> So a, a lot of Celtic music is referred to as yiggity music because it sounds like they're going yiggity, 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 yiggity. Right? So instead of that... Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have a capo on me, but... Uh, mm-hmm. We have a song called "Love Travels," which uh, was recorded by a country artist named Kathy Mattea yeah. and was a, a country hit for her and was the title track from that album and and the name of her tour yeah. And it's a Kaylee Rain, one of our signature songs, "Love Travels." And in, so instead of a guitar riff to open it, it goes. Okay. it goes around like that. Um, as opposed to, uh, let's see. Right. So instead of a guitar riff, it's um, a fiddle maybe a tin whistle maybe bagpipes maybe accordion uh playing a, a signature melody that i think is memorable and um then we go into the sort of more Beatlesque kind of song and uh hopefully with a great chorus to a great hook good vocals and good harmonies interesting chords and um the lyrics are very accessible for anybody. There's generally kind of a spiritual message without being religious, without being proselytizing, without being, you know, yeah. believe what I believe, or you're going to hell. Um, so uh, it, there's a spirit to it that some people take as spiritual, some people imbibe it as, you know, uh, Guinness or others invited. right? A,
1: a different kind of spirit
3: yeah right. exactly so um
1: well okay so then let me let me ask you this yeah. could you theoretically take rise to it okay granted you probably would change the lyrics because of the <laughs> yeah and yeah it wouldn't work right but let's say you took rise to it could you turn rise to it with maybe some different lyrics but just the melody of oh, it sure. into yeah, a, yeah yeah into a country
3: song yeah, you know, uh you just add song, different
1: instrumentations and you talk about a great about song is a great tractor. song
3: and it's just a matter of the the uh the setting if you have a nice stone whatever setting you put it in will show it off differently but it'll still be a nice stone. So okay. um m- meaning a diamond or a ruby mm-hmm. or a pearl or whatever. So um there I've always felt and sometimes to my detriment, I've always felt I could turn anything into a song and having that confidence um, has stood me in good stead over the years, because I, I trust that I can get a room, in a room with anybody and we'll come out with something worthwhile. Um, so could I take the music of of Rise to it? Let's do just the verse and I'll go quieter so it doesn't blow things up. Yeah
0: all
3: that stuff i mean it's talking about uh contemporary country versus old-timey country yeah mostly
1: contemporary just because that's kind of what it is now
3: right um if i listen to three or four of those records and you know if you if i you know you give yourself an assignment kind of which is what i did with my songwriting students um
1: You throw a fiddle over the top of it or something. Yeah. And it changes but the
3: whole. If I know I have 45 minutes and I have to come up with a country version of rise to it. um, it. That's assu- assuming you guys have some, you know, a fistful of crisp twenties. Um, <laughs> I so can do at it. The
1: time. <laughs> I, I can do it.
3: Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Oops. Got to go.
1: Uh, well, okay. So. Your your answer is probably going to change tomorrow, which is fine. But right now, if I said to you, "What song do you wish you could have written? Which one is it?"
3: Well, it would be a probably either a Beatles song or um, "What a Wonderful World." Okay, "Stand by Me." Because um, so know. many
1: people regard uh, um, in my life. Oh yeah, at, yeah, yeah, as the best song ever written i don't agree with that i mean but just look at the beatles catalog because there's just a so darn many, good
3: one
1: yeah there's just so many
3: yeah uh we can work it out it's great there's so many great beatles songs there there must be 20 30 of them that i would bow down to um but plenty of other writers burt right. Bacharach and hal david are you kidding me some of those songs they, those guys wrote carol king yeah. On and on. Um, you know, so the, there's so many great ones, and they all have melody. They all have a reason to be. You know, John Mellencamp once was talking, doing an interview like this, and he said, You know, the world doesn't need another song. And I'm not sure a lot of people knew what he meant by that, but my interpretation is the songs need to pay their way and pull their weight, they have to have value to the listeners to the to the public at large there needs to be a point to them they need to mean something it means something and and it could mean that you want to laugh or cry or call your mom and say you're sorry or whatever it is or get up and dance um but it's got to have it's got to pull you it's got to bring you into it it's got to have that power that is a magical thing. That you know, you you can ask me all the questions in the world, but I'll never be able to quite answer. You know, how do you write a song? Mm-hmm. What do you start with the lyrics or the? You know, the answer to all those questions is yes, okay. and it's just well, a well, matter that's... of you you just got to get lucky. Okay, so fair enough. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, Bob, where where can our listeners? find info on your band on you i mean if we've got somebody who's like gee i'd like to hire bob to do some co-writing sure where do they find you how do they get in touch with you
3: yeah and that still happens um well it's so it's bob halligan jr you can google me as they say it's two l's and but the group kaylee rain it's not phonetic let me spell it it's c e i l i r-a-i-n so it's c e i l i r a i n c-e-i-l-i-r-a-i-n.com and uh we're on youtube the 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 new record crash this gate is on spotify and apple music and any darn place you can look um my songs uh, i've written 1100 songs 200 or so are on all different records by all different people kiss included and uh 30 million sold nine gold and platinum records and uh um it's amazing you know Bob. bob let, let, let me ask you does it does it does it drive you nuts as a songwriter
0: that you can't go into spotify and go show me all the bob
3: halligan jr songs no i don't care about that i i i know them all <laughs> I but know. but but for but but for for yeah, for fans no. i mean thank i i
0: know as, again as a fan growing up yeah. when i discover music and then i go down that rabbit hole of oh okay well who's the songwriters oh it's not the guys in the band yeah so then let me find who else is this guy written for because maybe it's going to be a similar song yeah you know that's how i all of us Free internet. That's how you yeah. discovered music is you yeah. went down that rabbit hole. Oh, this guy produced the new record. Bob yeah. Ezrin, he produced Destroyer. What else has he done? Oh my God, you he was Alice Cooper? Well, I gotta check that out. Yeah. Oh, he did Pink Floyd. I gotta check you know, to the newest yeah. producers.
3: You can't go down those rabbit holes. Yeah, you're right. Um, when MTV came out, they always listed the artist and the name of the song and the guy who directed the video right but they never said who the songwriters were and uh so it's it persists to this day and uh but you know it's it's like ask all the hollywood writers who are on strike they're, there you go they're they're, they're they're i mean they're principally po'd that they they feel they're not getting their money but also um nobody knows who they are
0: they deserve the recognition too.
3: Yeah, but in any event, um, I'm I'm I feel blessed to be here to have had the chance to do what I've done, yeah. and for whatever's coming next, you know. So, uh, and you guys are helping with that. So, thank you so much. It's great, oh, Bob. It's thank pleasure. you. I mean, I yeah. love
0: like Tommy. I love these discussions, especially with songwriters. How are these songs that we grew up with? created you know when when you first when somebody first discovered judas priest you just assumed the band wrote everything and that was the band song yeah but you know to learn the history makes the song so much more special in my view it's like okay now i can understand what was going on for that song next time i listen to rise to it I'm going to have a different view, a different take on it. Mm-hmm. Because it's now more than just a song on a CD. Yeah. I have the story yeah. of how that song came to be. And the yeah. the person who did it shared something about it. I mean, that makes Changes it makes it music goes. so much more enjoyable, in my opinion. Yeah. It's a richer experience this way. It That's is why we
1: do this, because we feel like we're yeah. we are um cataloging music musical history in our own way
3: yeah oh you are just yeah we're we're
1: we're, we're
0: all about sharing stories and memories that's it amen you know and everybody's got a little bit of a different take on something and throw it all together in a pot and mix it up and somehow that becomes all those stories create what really happened it wasn't just this person that you know as we've always said it's not the gene and paul story i mean you know we could ask gene and paul to come on the podcast odds are we'll get the story that we've heard for 50 years and it's it's not necessarily the real story i mean when when you brought up tone loke it's like i've never even heard that even discussed yeah That, that just makes it a little more interesting to go yeah Really okay let me let me try and lit, let me try and picture the song done that way.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And one might imagine the the conversation well how much will it cost to get Tone Loc? Well there you go and then it's yeah. over. How much will it cost <laughs> for us to do it? So that oh, yeah. that might that might be the answer to why you never heard about the Tone Loke thing. It, it usually 100 <laughs> it usually is it usually is. Bob thank yeah, you, you so
0: much this was such such Michael a pleasure Tommy. so much insight Remarkable. um and uh you know Amen. i just gotta go i gotta go dig through some of your some of your songwriting credits again at great but like i said i i knew your name through the 80s it's like oh, <laughs> oh yeah, Hall- oh, yeah. I, I i even remember the bob halligan jr album
3: yeah yeah with atco 1991 yep.
0: yeah. yeah yeah i mean, that was just another one of those smart um informative great discussions about a, a part of the business we don't dive into nearly enough i mean well, yes yeah. we've had holly knight on we had adam mitchell on um, but you know talking about all of these songs and how they're crafted and created uh, is fascinating to me
1: yeah, I would call I would say even go a step further and say it's a magical conversation because you know, I knew who he was as did you, but you never know guys when for those of you listening, when we set these people up, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, and, and and I thought that Bob was great and he was very informative and that makes for a great discussion.
0: Yep, 100%, you know? 100%. And he just, you know, shared some great stories of working mm-hmm. with Paul and phone calls with Gene and Judas Priest and Kicks. And, um, yeah. you know, now, now, Tommy, the question is do I go out and destroy the harmony in the Kiss Army by labeling this show Tone Loke? Confirmed, Tone Loke was considered to sing on Hot in the Shade.
1: Oh god yes. Are you kidding? You're probably already writing it right now.
0: Uh, uh, as soon as he said that I was like, "Oh god, I could really piss off people again here."
1: Oh god, yeah.
0: I really yeah. could. Yeah. I it, I, I it, mean but, but but let's be honest. That was a that was a cool little tidbit. Little nugget. I mean Well, yeah.
1: Another like I said, we keep hearing all this stuff that we've never heard before. And I just, I don't know, I, I, I love this type of discussion because to me, yeah. you, learning these new little bits and pieces is fun. You know, I mean, yep. Tom Loke on a Kiss record, people are going to, they're going to like tell you you're a liar.
0: Oh, I'm a liar. I'm lying again.
1: I'm lying. I'm lying. It, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it, that's did, didn't, happen. it, it,
0: it didn't happen. Well. As far as we know, it never happened. Maybe it did and never ended up getting released, but it was at least mentioned as that was what they were thinking of doing.
1: Yep. It's a funky gold Medina.
0: That's funny. On low kind of kiss record. <laughs> um, all right. So homework. Um, and this might take a little bit of research by by our listeners out here. What's your favorite Bob Halligan co-write? What song do you really love? And he's been involved in some pretty significant songs. I mean, Kicks, Judas Priest, Cher, uh, you know, even Helix Rock You. Mm-hmm. I mean, he 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 was yeah. co co-writer on that song. I I you know. No disrespect to um, "Read My Body" or, or "Rise to It," I don't think too many Kiss fans are going to go, "Yeah, Read My Body." That's that's my number one pick.
1: Yeah, no, it wouldn't be, but I still, I really love "Rise." Rise to, to It, I it is,
0: song. I will definitely credit. I that. remember that's, a, that's that the great first song. time
1: and thinking, "Okay, they're shifting away from Crazy Nights."
0: Yes, well, that's I mean, The whole thing uh, that I remember hearing when I listened to Hot in the Shade was, yeah, much less slick, much less polished, much more blues, much more bluesy rock was coming back into KISS. I just still stand with, I I think the Hot in the Shade needed a a producer, shouldn't have been self-produced. I I mean, as as we discussed Mm -hmm. with Bob, you know, it's basically done in a demo studio, self-produced. The songs, I think, needed just a producer to polish them up and make them great songs. Yeah. And maybe go through and go, you know what? Two or three of these songs aren't even good enough to be on the album. Get rid of them.
1: Right. Right. But then again, we talked about the 72 Minutes.
0: Well, I was just going to say that was at a time when when labels and everybody was like, oh, let's just pack as much music as we can into a CD now because mm-hmm. it's twice as long as a vinyl album. Right. But sometimes you don't have songs that are really worth packing into a CD. No, you do not. So homework. Yeah. What what what's your favorite Bob Halligan Jr. Song? Hmm. Um. What would you think of Tone Loke being on on a Kiss song? Read My Body.
1: Yes. We'll have to ask Lisa that because that's her favorite Kiss song.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this was a fun interview. I mm-hmm. loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Everybody go out. Follow Bob. Follow his band. Kaylee Rain. And that's it. Three sides of the coin. We're out of here. We'll see everybody next week. Do you have something to say? Leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call 320-515. Voices
2: for three sides of the coin. Provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by Jessica JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.